The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. This movie sounds like a hug with a knife in it. <laughs> Welcome to Recotopia, a happy home for recommended movies, shows, and music from two people you can definitely trust. Trustability varies by region, no guarantee is implied. And now, here are your hosts, Aaron Dicer and Jeremy Scott. Everybody on Earth uses 3% of their brain. 3 to 5%. That's why they're there. 3? 3%? 3%? You mean nobody on Earth uses more than that? When you use more than 5% of your brain, you don't want to be on Earth, believe me. Hello, everybody, and welcome to episode 93 of Recotopia. I am Jeremy Scott. And I'm Dicer. Welcome to the chat today, who remembered after a week off uh, to return to the routine. You guys are lovely. It's nice to see your avatars and your salutations. Uh, the big recommend this week is Albert Brooks and Meryl Streep in Defending Your Life. But before we dive into that, we do the small recommends. Aaron, what do you got for us this week? It's no big deal. It's so small and light. It's small, it's tiny, it's petite, it's wee. Let's start with, you guessed it, uh, Movie Seeking Awards. Uh, <laughs> I will also finish with the Movie Seeking Awards. But anyways, uh, this one I think is going to be a little bit polarizing. I think people will either love or hate this movie. Mm -hmm. uh, I fall more on the love side of things. Uh, I want to talk a little bit about Saltburn. Saltburn. Uh, for <clears throat> Small Recommend. Now, this is uh, already out in theaters so you should be able to see it that's one thing i'm trying to do a little bit better with some of these end of year recommends for me is to make sure what i'm recommending is already available there are several movies i would love to talk about but you can't quite see them yet but Saltburn, you can this is barry keegan jacob lordy uh rosamund pike's in there uh carrie mulligan as well and this comes to us from uh emerald fennel uh, who you may remember's debut was Promising Young Woman, and uh, mm. that got a lot of buzz, and I think won an Oscar. I think they won an Oscar for that screenplay. Mm. Um, so, so yeah. So I was very curious to see what they'd follow up with next, and uh, I'm impressed. Now, Saltburn is one of those movies that is going to take you on a ride, and then where you end up will either infuriate you or uh, you will be delighted by it. Um, mm. It's it's kind of one of those that I can't really say a lot about because I don't want to spoil things. Um, I will say Barry Kilgan's uh, performance is, I think, amazing. I think he's wonderful in this. I think the movie has some very interesting uh, things to say about greed in all of its forms. Mm. Um, I will say thematically, if you like the talented Mr. Ripley, this is probably along those uh, same lines in many mm. ways, uh, story-wise and thematically, make for a good double feature. So um, that's about all I want to say, other than a, a, a blanket warning of 
this movie goes there. There are two or three scenes in this movie that you're like, has anyone ever showed that in a movie before in that hmm. way? Hmm. Um, and is maybe there a good reason nobody has? Like hmm. it has it has those moments uh, throughout that uh, that I would throw a, a warning in there. But uh, but I actually really enjoyed Saltburn. I said I think it's I think it's saying something really important for our current society, uh, especially as we have been through and continue to be through a very appropriate and understandable eat the rich phase, you know, dealing with capitalism and unrestrained capitalism and, and kind of what that does. And this movie has some very interesting things to say about it's possibly uh, not just a rich problem. It's possibly an all of us problem, uh, which I which I think are very interesting. So um, so, yeah, this movie sounds like a hug with a knife in it. <laughs> the, I, yes yes very nice one sentence review jeremy uh. <laughs> all right um well i'm curious i like promising young woman um took me two watches to get there but i mm. liked it um my first small recommend uh is a movie that i've now seen twice uh and it is the 2023 animated teenage mutant ninja turtles mutant mayhem okay so maybe the first Turtles property since the first live action movie when I was a teenager that captured the fun teenageriness of these characters. Um, the live action ones that Bay produced um, just made them college age, brooding. There wasn't very much fun about those movies for me. Uh, there, there have been like 72 ninja turtle movies i looked it up uh, but this is i'm joking there were like nine but um <laughs> none of them has impacted me the way this one did and I, I think there's a few key reasons uh seth rogan is one of your writers here one of your producers and one of the voices and uh he's done plenty of interviews about how much he loved the turtles when he was young and how intentional they were about making this like emphasizing the teenage part of this because it often gets left by the wayside one of the ways that they ensured that uh was to hire four unknown kids to voice these actors uh another thing they did to, to do that was put them all in the same room and give them plenty of room to ad lib and be teenagers and they talk over each other the way teenagers do I can't say this enough. Watch this movie with teenagers uh, because I'm going to tell you, I had two viewings of this. I watched this for work um, and enjoyed it. And then I watched it over Thanksgiving with my brother's three teenagers and loved the shit out of it. Uh, it speaks to teenagers. Uh, they succeeded. Uh, and that may be part of the reason that it only made like $180 million. They only made. Um, but I mean, these days, that's great. Like, you know, there's there's concern there might not have been enough profit to make a sequel. I certainly hope they do because they created a world here and you've got some really fun, great voice work. You've got Jackie Chan voicing Splitter, um, Rogan and John Cena voice Bebop and Rocksteady, Io Edabiri uh, from The Chef, from The Chef. Uh, <laughs> from everything. From <laughs> everything. Um, uh, she voices April O'Neil, uh, and I didn't realize that was her at first. Um, and just uh, everybody's killing it. Post Malone voices a character that has one bit, and it slays every time he does it. 
Uh, yep. And then Ice Cube is in this as well as the villain. Uh, I just, I can't say enough about how much fun I had, especially when in the company of my three uh, nieces and nephews. Uh, it was just, oh, it was so much fun. And it's short. Um, just go watch it. It's awesome. I, I think it's awesome as well. It's a really good watch. Uh, it's a really good rewatch too. It's just, it's a lot of fun. Um, I think for me, the balancing act that I'm most impressed with in this movie is that it manages to capture the precociousness of teenagers, like how um, unaware they are of themselves, how uh, you know unself-aware they can be, all yep. those kind of things, and yet doesn't make us completely annoyed with them. Like that can very easily tip over into, I don't want to spend time with these people, yeah. Yeah. but it never does that. You're always having fun with them. Like you, you're still falling in love with them as, you know, precocious as they are. Yeah. Um, so it gets that balance really, really uh, yeah. right in my opinion. So yeah, I enjoyed it as well. Awesome. Uh, my second small recommend is uh, The Boy and the Heron. This is uh, oh. Miyazaki's uh, new film. It is also out in theaters. Uh, it's for you to check out. Um his last movie, uh, uh, this off my brain, The Wind Rises, maybe I think is what it was called, was supposed to be his final film. He is getting older, um, and he just had this in him, this story in him, this world in him, and he wanted to get it out. Um, he is in his 80s now uh, as he releases this, and uh, man, I don't know if there's a better animated storyteller than Miyazaki. I don't know that there's anyone who understands the power and possibilities of animation the way he does, because animation allows you to do things that you can't do in, you know, real world. Even with all the advances we've made with CGI and all these different things, there's just still things that animation can do fluidly that that we just can't do otherwise now. Um, and this movie has so many gorgeous visuals. It has a beautiful story, a heartfelt story uh, about a boy dealing with the loss uh, of his mom and kind of where his life goes from that and how he has to work through or tries to work through um, or is forced to work through uh, his sadness. And um, it deals with a Narnia-like fantastical world that he finds himself in. And it's just, it's, it's just great world building, great storytelling, beautiful animation. Um, Miyazaki's a genius. He just is. He just is. Yeah. And uh, this was also supposed to be his last film, and I believe he's already announced that he's going to keep making movies. Uh, <laughs> you know, why not? Listen, as long as you draw breath, right? Like, if, if you love what, doing it, if it brings if you joy, yeah. you know? If it's what gives him joy, then why stop? You know, yeah. Do it, do it until you fall over. Um, mm -hmm. Interesting. Yeah, I have seen five of his movies. Four of them? That's about all of them, isn't it? Like, uh, he's, he, he doesn't have a huge filmography. It feels um, like I haven't seen all of them. I don't, I, I mean, I know seen Studio, Studio Ghibli has a lot more film. He hasn't directed all of those. So like they have a big library, but I only, I'm not sure he's directed more than Let a handful. See. Let's see. This is great radio. Um, mm -hmm. yeah, look it up. The boy, the heron. That's how I Googled. I Googled good. <laughs> uh, chat says they think he has a dozen films. So that's more that than I is thought. Usually but, on point. Yeah, yeah, that that could be right. That could be right. I was thinking less than that, but it, th that's probably right. It looks like. Let's see. I hate the way IMDb does this now. 
Yeah, it's really hard to just kind of see things. Sometimes I, I go to Wikipedia. Honestly, Wikipedia sometimes has a better film filmography section um, than IMDb does. So, yeah. Okay, so yeah, most of the ones that I... So like Princess Mononoke, Spirited mm-hmm. Away, um, Howl's Moving Castle, I've seen all of those. Mm-hmm. Uh, and those are his. Um, yeah. But yeah, it looks like he's got... Well, gosh. I mean, a lot of these are TV series, but he's got 29 directing credits. Um, all right, good recommend, and I don't know when I'll get to see this, but I hope to see it, because I heard nothing but good things from people I trust. Um, My second small recommend, ladies and gentlemen, we're going back to the food and beverage category as I bring you the revelation that is Mountain Dew Game Fuel Cherry Citrus. Um, the, The image on your screen is a little... Oh, wait, that says Champion Cherry Citrus. It sure is. All right, so this is a, a flavor that existed in like i think 2007 somewhere around in there and i never had the glorious opportunity to try this flavor when in that era i was not a do aficionado at the time up until trying this i've always said live wire was my favorite mountain dew alternate mm. and this one is challenging it this one i can taste the cherry i can taste the citrus i can taste the dew it's perfect uh they have brought it back after 14 16 years however long it's been and the people who drank it in the aughts are freaking out so i had to go out and see if my local spot had it and they do and if you can find it well and they do you see what i did there uh Mm -hmm. if you can find it uh i think you will enjoy it if you like uh some of these dudes i've had a couple that are bad there's that apple one that you can only buy at kroger um i hate that one sorry no offense um but uh this is a home freaking run and i hope that they don't take it away again uh anytime soon so there you go mountain dew game fuel citrus cherry flavor there's a second one i'm not even sure what it's called there's a new another returning game fuel flavor it's purple i don't even know what it's called i don't give a shit the cherry citrus is it for me i'm gonna drink it till they take it away from me (laughs) <laughs> I think it's so interesting how uh, food companies, beverage companies, and chip companies, or whatever, uh, how far the the flavor game has evolved. Mm-hmm. Like the idea of how you flavor things, what's allowed to be flavored, those kind of things. Um, uh, I, I think the the image that I picked for this is a special edition of this. Citrus cherry flavor. So, like, not only are they bringing back this thing, this flavor that was limited time, they're like, here's, like, just a limited amount of special cases that look like, like, it's become a collectible. Like, food is a collectible now, which is just It is weird. It's weird. Um, And there's also this limited time aspect of it. And Mm -hmm. I think I figured it out because. Call the McRib's fault. Yeah, you're absolutely. Well, you're kind of right. Uh, but, but Coke started a couple of years ago, and they they do flavors that you can't define, right? So pickle right. or uh, space or whatever. Um, and the very first one they did, I don't even remember what it was called, but my wife and I both loved it. Uh, and then it went away, and it hasn't ever come back. But while we wait for it to come back. What has Coke done? They have hooked us on the notion that the next one might be just as good as the one mm-hmm. we fell in love with. So we right. try all of them. We are suckers. We try them all like suckers. Mm-hmm. But 
Uh, some of them are good. Some of them I'm glad that I tried. And now, if they take this game fuel away, when it comes back in 16 years, I'll be one of those guys saying, I used to drink this. Let's go. Uh, uh, yes. And we all want the Szechuan sauce. Uh, you know, it's always something. Yep. Limited edition stuff. Um, mm-hmm. Okay. It's time for this week's a Big Recommend. Mother's Day is almost here, and you can get her the most beautiful time-tested gift around. A watch she can wear every day for movement. Whether mom's into classic dress watches, rare and refined ceramics, or tried and true bestsellers, movement has something she'll love. And right now you can save big on the best Mother's Day gift ever with up to 50% off site-wide during movement's Mother's Day sale at MVMT.com. Again, that's up to 50% off at MVMT.com. The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. I'm fine. I'm fine. It's just that you're so big. It's so huge. It's a good rule, but this is bigger than rules. It's bigger on the inside. Is it? I noticed. Defending Your Life, uh, written by, directed by, and starring Albert Brooks in a movie that almost subdues his razor-sharp comedic wit. Um, It's one of... uh, I don't know. I read I read something about this movie that said it's more situational than it is comedy. Not that there's not laughs, but there. This is an examination of humanity, um, where comedy, and at least you know, biting comedy, is not necessarily at the front of the line. Um, anyway, we open with Daniel Miller. This is Albert Brooks. Uh, he's playing uh, an advertising executive, as he has done in other movies he's written and directed, um, thanking his coworkers for a birthday present. Uh, we learn that he's single and has an ex-wife, or at least he cracks about an ex-wife. Um, <clears throat> we watch him pick up a brand new BMW from his friend at the dealership. He jams out to some West Side Story, drives a little <laughs> recklessly, and then ends up going headlong into a bus. Uh, and then we immediately cut to him and a bunch of other people being wheeled through a hallway. They are all dead. Albert Brooks went out of his way to try and keep religion uh, and religious ideas uh, from this afterlife. He wanted to examine humanity from the afterlife without coloring it in any one religious way. But they are welcomed by bus to Judgment City, and the hostess on the bus says they're not on Earth, but where he is will be explained later. They keep This whole first introduction is designed to keep us on our toes because they don't really want to tell us everything yet. But... Uh, the way the movie deals with it is to make it sound like dying takes it out of you. And these people are exhausted (laughs) and they need to go to bed. Um, They're told they'll be here for five days. He's shown to his room at the hotel. He lays down on the bed and falls asleep instantly. Um, We then meet Rip Torn's character, Bob Diamond. He's a lawyer. Uh, He's actually Daniel's lawyer lawyer uh and he calls daniel i'm gonna say lawyer and trial all through this synopsis even though the movie is funny and coy about there's not actually a trial i'm not gonna do that um it's a trial because um, it is so clearly a trial with lawyers and yes. the defense and, um yes. he calls daniel wakes him up and says we have an appointment this morning you need to come to judgment city 
to defend your life. So he goes downtown. He doesn't get, he gets two bites of his awesome breakfast. They keep stressing you can eat whatever you want because you won't get full, which sounds awesome to me. I would never want to leave this place because all the food's supposed to be tasty. He goes downtown, meets with Diamond, his lawyer. Daniel learns that he is not in heaven, but he's not in hell because there's not a hell, which is kind of nice if you ask me. Um, and here's where we basically get the movie's main you know, conceit that reincarnation, if you will, is real. And he's here to be judged on whether or not he has conquered his fears enough to move on to an unspecified existence or if he will be sent back to Earth to try again. Uh, and then we also learn in this scene that he has been back to Earth 20 times. Uh, there's a nice running bit in here about what percent of your brain you use. Uh, and everyone who works in this judgment city uses like 48, 53% of their brain. And they're always bragging about it. Uh, Daniel only uses three. Three percent, and I find that hysterical. Uh, that night, he goes to a comedy club, and this is where we're introduced to Meryl Streep's character, Julia. Uh, the, com the comedian's bad. Albert Brooks makes a crack at him. The audience laughs, and Meryl Streep decides to go over and get to know him. Uh, there's kind of an immediate attraction or interest there. They both look at each other before she goes over there. Uh, they get along really well, start laughing, uh, and decide to ditch the show. And then they go for a walk. And uh, it's just effortless. Uh, and I'm not sure I've ever had a, a relationship that was this effortless, but I think the movie is, well, I think the movie is saying some things about that. But anyway, we'll, we'll, let's move on. The next day, we see Daniel's trial beginning. And the prosecutor, Dragon Lady prosecutor. And it strikes me as odd that this place would have such a strict prosecutor, but... I get it. We're, we're deciding whether or not people can move on to the next plane of existence. And um, maybe we got to be tight on that. Maybe there's not enough room up there. Uh, the prosecutor plays, they're going to play days from Daniel's life. They're going to play nine different days, scenes from nine different days in his life over the four-day trial. The first one she shows is when he was 11 and he gets beat up and bullied on the playground. And she suggests that he was afraid. Bob Diamond stands. There's no rhyme or reason, by the way, to who takes turns, who goes when. Um, um, and that's okay with me. I was a little bothered at first because I'm a big courtroom procedural guy in terms of, like, I like that kind of content. And this mm -hmm. one just throws all that out the window. Um, Bob Diamond, his lawyer, stands up and says he was restrained and counters with a day from when Daniel was one years old, one years old, um, and his crying stopped his father from hitting his mother suggesting that that shows bravery this trial takes turns as you do and so now it's bob's turn to show a, a clip that suggests maybe daniel has gotten over his fears uh and he shows a clip from when daniel was 10 years old and took a punishment that his friend deserved for missing his paint supplies the, the prosecutor's done her homework though she has a clip from later in that day where Daniel's dad is yelling at him for losing his supplies, and Daniel breaks down and admits the truth. It was my friend. I forget his name. I think it was Steve. Um, and uh, basically narks on his friend, and she suggests that that shows fear. Uh, after the first day of the trial, Daniel goes for sushi, uh, and he goes back to the hotel. The sushi restaurant is fun. I'm not 100% sure what I'm supposed to take away from that, uh, but the sushi guys are hilarious uh, in that they shout, everything back at you and one guy was like you don't have to shout everything i'm just going to take a piss and they go take a piss is it not based on an actual la restaurant that was popular at the time where Perhaps. they did that i i thought that was that was the case it was kind of this 
this thing in in still to this day some of the more asian themed restaurants have that thing where the people cooking will shout back back at you or welcome you loudly or there's a place we go called who hot where they cook the food in front of you and there's lots of you know yelling and you know catchphrases and that kind of stuff i'll tell you so, what every time i've walked into a moe's southwest grill and they shout at me welcome to moe's i'm like oh you <laughs> just turned a spotlight on my face thank you incognito out the window yeah. um maybe it is i i would not know i'll have to research Anyway, he gets a message from Julia asking him to meet up for a meal the next day. Uh, we then go to the next day's trial where Daniel is greeted by a fill-in lawyer he's never met who puts up a little resistance to the prosecutor or defensive Daniel. I'm curious to know if you have any specific thoughts about this character and his inclusion because as I try to put my head around the themes, um, this one escapes me. Uh, I can't quite figure out why he's here. Uh, unless it's to show Daniel having fear in the trial. That I think that's it. I, th okay. I think it's it's a way for us to see Daniel fighting with the same old ability to stand have up control. for himself yeah. and have control and, and those kind of things. Uh, whether that's the intent of the court or not, it's certainly the intent of the movie. And it could be well, both. Well, the way I interpret the film, the, the, the court is all in on it the whole time, and we're trying to get Daniel to a place... It's almost like it reminds me of the Oracle in Neo when she tells him what he needs to know right now so that he can later realize who he is. Mm -hmm. um, anyway, the fill-in lawyer is it's not very talkative. Uh, the prosecutor starts with a day where Daniel invested $10,000 in an investment that didn't pan out, and uh, he lost money. And then her next clip is Daniel caving during salary negotiations where he wanted to demand 65 but immediately takes i think 49 or 48,000 dollars that's right something like that um and daniel begins to wonder if what he's actually being judged about is money did i make enough money the prosecutor continues to tell him no it's you got ignore the money it's about what you were feeling during these moments then the, she drops a goddamn supercut of 164 <laughs> misjudgments throughout his life. And this is against the rules. They said nine days, but this is 172 days. Mm -hmm. Anyway, it makes for some great comedy. We get uh, several little flashes of uh, his life uh, going awry in various ways. Uh, and it's pretty funny. Um, he somehow locked himself, though, in one of these inside the car, and he's got a clothes hanger going out the window trying to get the door handle. I don't even understand how that went, but, but it was very funny. Uh, afterwards, he and Julia go to the Past Lives Pavilion. Now, they tease this in the opener, and I wrote a little note. If they don't ever show me the Past Lives Pavilion, they're ripping me off because it says you can go and see all of, like, a video, all mm -hmm. of the people you've been on earth in your previous lives like i would never leave this building <laughs> and this is a fun little awesome section too uh nobody's really enjoying what they see in their past lives um except julia julia's enjoying it but uh she says i'm prince valiant who are you and he's being chased uh, he goes dinner <laughs> <laughs> then they go mini golfing this place has everything and she tells him that she died tripping over patio furniture and hitting her head falling into the pool uh i do appreciate the the frequent how did you die and everybody has interesting deaths uh back at their hotel back at her hotel uh which he's really impressed with they kiss and i wrote it's pretty passionate then we go to day three of the trial and the prosecutor starts with a clip from daniel's 34th year of life where he gets stage fright 
and tries to back out of doing a speaking engagement in front of all the West Coast advertising agencies. He goes out there anyway. He's forced to, basically, and it's a disaster. He can't speak. This is parallel to his character in broadcast news, but that doesn't matter. He's paralyzed, but then he is saved by a sudden evacuation for a gas leak. Uh, So the prosecution is fixated on Daniel's fear and shame. Um, The defense is saying, hey, nothing went wrong, actually. And uh, this is where you begin to realize that the movie's posit is that the point of living is to live beyond your fears, conquer those fears, and then you really start living. That's what I take mm-hmm. away from it. Yeah. Um, but the prosecutor even yells in this moment, he never got up in front of a large group of people ever again. And that's, again, I think this is a little unfair because more people are afraid of public speaking than of dying. We've seen this, well, at least it came out in the 80s. I don't know if that's still true, but people are generally paralyzed of speaking in front of large groups so i don't feel like that's specific to daniel but i'm not one of the attorneys i'm gonna have a say the defense attorney well now bob diamond again rip torn counters with a clip of daniel's snowmobiling and then crashing and suggests he's fearless because he crawled three miles for help with a broken leg which is pretty impressive if i couldn't crawl if i broke my leg on a snowmobile and i was lying in the snow i could maybe crawl 30 feet that would be it i would just give up three miles is, is pretty impressive Uh, But the prosecutor says self-preservation is innate to everyone. But it's kind of implied that the defense has won that particular point today. Uh, Julia had asked Daniel to come watch her session. And so he goes, he walks in. You can just apparently walk into other people's trials. um, And he sits in the back. That's what I'd be doing all day. You can be over at the past life pavilion. I'll be walking into people's trials. That's awesome. Um, (laughs) And he gets to watch her memories. And guess what? She's a saint. She saves kids and the cat from a burning house. Um, And Daniel and even all the judges and lawyers are like uh, in awe of her. Uh, They go out to a really nice dinner. Uh, They're about to have some fun. But then Daniel's dragon lady prosecutor sits down in the same restaurant. And he, this is sort of you know, emblematic of how he has always felt his whole life, that he's constantly being judged. He's constantly under mm-hmm. judgment. Um, and so he wants to leave. Julie wants to stay, but he he feels he's being judged. So they end up back in the hotel lobby. And she basically, they're, they're getting along so well. They just are kindred spirits. And she basically says, hey, why don't you come up to my room and we'll do a little hanky-panky. Um, <laughs> and he says, I would love to. And she's like, let's go. And he's like, I can't. I feel like... He feels like he would ruin what they have. And he says Mm -hmm. an interesting line here to me where he says, this is already better than any sex I have ever had or will have. Um, And I think that's a sneaky lesson to take away from the movie because when you're young, sex is so much a part of what drives our attraction. Um, And when we're old... um, (laughs) Friendship is so much part of what drives <laughs> a happy marriage, uh, which is, you know, not to say sex goes away like they all warned me it would. I've already said too much. Um, <laughs> he basically says, he stops short of saying, you know, I'm afraid, but he basically just says, I'm just tired of being judged. I don't want to ruin this. I think I should leave. So he leaves. Um, and it, it's very distressing to me. Um, but thankfully, the movie is just setting me up for a good payoff. At the next day's trial, Daniel's lawyer, Daniel's lawyer closing argument focuses on how Daniel fearlessly pursued a trip to Hong Kong on his own that they had planned together with he and his wife after his divorce. 
Uh, and there's even a moment where, with only $9,000 to his name, he boldly upgrades to first class for like $3,500 more. The prosecutor cheats again and shows the previous night where he turned down Julia's offer to go to bed and even emphasizes the part where he says, I'm a, and stops short of saying he's afraid. And uh, that kind of proves to be the killing blow. Uh, the verdict comes in pretty quick, and Daniel is deemed to be unfit to move forward and sentenced to go back to Earth once again. But when he's on his return to Earth tram, he sees Julia on another tram, and she's been deemed worthy to move on. And he just, he breaks. He can't, he can't accept this. He knows that Julia is what and who he wants, um, and he doesn't need to go back to Earth. And he breaks free of his seatbelt, rips open the doors of the tram, nearly gets hit by several trams on his way over, and is hanging outside the door as they yell to each other how much they love each other. And then we pan back to see the lawyers and the judges are watching this live. And Rip Torn says to the prosecutor, brave enough for you. They all agree. They push a button and say, let him in. The tram doors open. Daniel Ju joins Julia in moving on. And that is Defending Your Life. Mm -hmm. um, Aaron, I think this was maybe your first time through this dog, Indeed. huh? Yep. Hadn't seen this one. Um, I, until recently, have been uh, woefully short on my Albert Brooks uh, repertoire. Um, I have watched a few in the past couple years, um, and this was one I hadn't gotten to yet. And so I'm, I'm very glad to have seen it. He continues to hit home runs as far as I'm concerned. Um, he's so clever and smart, uh, and it's hard, it, it is difficult, I think, for anything he does not to be compelling because mm. he thinks in such interesting ways and he has such a good sense of humor. And when you have those two things combined, I'm just going to be along for the ride. It's just going to be a, a really good time. Uh, I am struck by a couple things you mentioned that I will re-mention. One is I'm struck by how non-religious this story is and how accessible that makes it. It's not about uh, any kind of established moral idea of what purgatory might be or what the afterlife might be. It's not dealing with, you know, uh, any kind of uh, Christian allegory or, uh, you know, Jewish allegory. It's just dealing with this purgatory slash afterlife is about fear. You know, mm -hmm. that's, that's what they're looking for. And you get the sense it may be different for everyone. That may not be everybody's trial. And, you know, that may just be because this is the thing that's keeping his, uh, you know, brain percentage down or him, you know, located on this planet for 20 plus times, uh, whatever the case may be. So I, I, I really do appreciate that. The other thing that I find really interesting, I think there's a little bit of thematic tension here that I'm not sure I've completely worked my way through mm. um, because the same thing that we are lauding for uh, for this character, we are also taking time in turns in a, in a more subtle way admonishing. There, there, There's a real interesting back and forth that goes between the defense attorney and the prosecuting attorney um, about what bravery is or what it means. You know, like, for me, for instance, I would watch the bully scene. I think the bully scene's a, a, an interesting one. And I would go, that is bravery not to fight back. Like, that is bravery not to choose violence when somebody is is like that. And the movie, I think, 
plays more in that he should have defended himself. Like he should have fought back or thrown a punch or, or whatever. And so like, there's this interesting tension that I don't know that the movie ever resolves or intends to resolve, but it makes for a nice little nuanced thing for me to think about afterwards, which I love when a movie, you know, can kind of do that because I think there's a balance to this idea of, you know, fear. There's certainly, you can certainly go too far on this idea Mm. of, standing up for myself or you know whatever the case may be this is what leads to obliviousness and not thinking of other people and not having empathy you know what i mean like if you take that to its extreme that's where it leads and so the movie doesn't really deal with that but i'm processing that which uh which i i really enjoyed um and i think you touched on it briefly with the um the sex part not having sex with her when she, you know, invites him up to the room where, you know, he makes a decision and says something along the lines of, I think you mentioned it, this is already better than any sex I've ever had. I don't want to ruin it uh, kind of idea. And I think the movie is saying something there, but then it kind of, I guess not contradicts itself, but says the other thing, which is that is the nail in his coffin here. The nail in his coffin is him choosing not to do that, even though the movie kind of at least a little bit was like, that's kind of cool. That's kind of admirable. That's kind of interesting. So the movie is kind of, you know, wrestling with itself a little bit, which I don't hate. I don't hate that at all. I think I find that really fascinating and interesting. And I think it's probably something Albert Brooks himself has struggled with in his own self-realization is this idea of um, being timid or mild or not, you know, standing up you know, for himself or has seen it enough that he thinks that's something that more people, you know, need to do. I'm uh, sure it is. I don't think he wrote broadcast news, but the characters are very similar. Um, Very. Mm -hmm. And uh, he's even beaten up as a kid in the beginning of that movie. Um, And yeah, I I mean, the movie does kind of feel like he's never really defended himself until he gets off that tram uh, Mm -hmm. to to go to Julia. And and I'm sure that's where the title comes from. But yeah, I think the, the bully moment, well, so many of these memories, I think, are open to interpretation in multiple ways, and I feel like right. that's intentional. Well, even the risky investment, I think he makes a good point when he says, so is it about money? Like, like what's like, in, in the idea that it's no, it's about being willing to take the risk. Well, being willing to take the risk comes with the risk of making a mistake, too. Yeah. Like, there's, you know, that's, again, it's 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 kind of the whole, you know, dot com bubble thing where fake it till you make it and you know like at its extreme that's where it leads but there is this balanced nuance of understanding when to stand up for what you believe stand up for who you are those kind of things versus um, being oblivious to who others are and what they need mm-hmm. um, so uh, so yeah these are just thoughts you know that that kind of go through my mind as I'm watching it uh, some of the running gags I loved. You mentioned the brain percentage was really funny. The other one I really loved was the number of days. He'd go somewhere and they'd be like, hey, how many days are you doing? He'd yeah. be like, nine. And they'd be like, oh. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And the, the, one of those guys who even reacts that way ends up saying, oh, I'm doing 15. Uh, there's there's yeah. never really any, you don't really know if more is good or fewer is good i think you know more is bad i think like even the guy who's like i'm doing 15 is like clearly somebody who's like using one percent of his brain you know what i mean like it's <laughs> it's not somebody you would you would want to aspire to um uh rip torn 
is so good in this movie. Mm-hmm. I, I don't know that I'm like, look, I've seen him in Men in Black. I know I, I've seen Rip Torn and other things. I know what he can do, but he has a a jubilant goofiness in this movie that I'm not sure I've exactly seen from him. And I really like uh, what that character uh, is doing in this. Um, let's see what else uh, I have to mention my favorite line reading. Mm. which was after the Meryl Streep character has explained how she died. Albert Brooks says, what did the East German judge give you? And he just, (laughs) he just delivers it so perfectly uh, because it's that balance of, I know this is serious stuff, but I'm uh, just going to make a a very uh, straightforward and dry. It's just so dry. The delivery is just so dry. It's, it's, it's really beautiful. I love it. Um, the, uh, the idea of the, the, um, stand-up comic dying on stage and how that relates to his dad, I think is very interesting, mm-hmm. uh, where he, uh, he says, um, what are you doing? Um, how did you die? He says on stage like you, mm-hmm. uh, which his father literally did die at a Friars club roast. Mid-roast. After giving what was, what sounds like the funniest thing ever given at the right yeah yeah and so there's that interesting part and you're like oh that would be enough of a callback but then he said that's my dad and Mm. like that's i I don't know what he's doing like if he's wrestling with some demons there or actually you know making a really dark joke or or what he's doing but it's it's really interesting to me that that he goes on to like even you know bring it in even clearer which uh i found uh really wild i think he's clearly addressing it because he i mean he goes on to you've seen this documentary by now i'm taking it. yes yes so he goes my on life. to make mm-hmm. the movie mother which is all about his real mother essentially and his relationship with his real mother mm-hmm. like he's not afraid to put his real stuff out there so at this point i'm convinced he was beaten up as a kid mm-hmm. um among other things go on i love that he's singing Streisand's version of West Side Story when he dies, that there's something about him singing a musical, a piece from a musical and listening to Streisand. I don't know. I just think it's it's great. Like listening to him, like skip over the parts he doesn't exactly know and just sing along to them. It's just, it's really well done. Yeah. Uh, so I want to mention that. And then the last thing I'll mention is uh, another one of my favorite quotes, which is when you use more than 5% of your brain, you don't want to be on earth. Believe me. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I, uh, I have some lines and moments I wanted to talk about. Yeah, too. go for it. Um, early on before he dies, he's being driven around by a buddy in a Range Rover. And he's like, I see his people driving these. When do you know that I don't know? Is there a flood coming? And it's <laughs> yes. one of the most Albert Brooksiest jokes ever because I would never... I would, I would come up with so many different ways to say this vehicle looks weird other than to just say it's too tall by saying, is there a flood coming? Mm-hmm. Uh, one of the commercials on TV, I love all the TV stuff. One of the commercials on TV is for a restaurant called Ted, Ted's House of Buffet. And that made me die laughing for some reason. Um, the the bit between the comic and the old guy on the front row absolutely floored me where he mm-hmm. says, how long were you in a coma? And the guy says, I don't really know. He's like, let's play a game, Art. Elvis, Elvis living or lot. dead? And he goes, living. <laughs> Long coma art. Long, Long coma. coma. <laughs> um, 
I, I think the best joke in the whole movie is the throwaway when she does this whole thing about how she loves eating all the food she wants. And six months ago, she had a dream about going to a place where she could eat all the food she wants. And he says, you think you were dreaming about this place? And she says, no, I think it was about Sizzler. There's one a block from, there's one a block from my house. And it's just, that's it. We're done. But it's just, it's so perfectly delivered. Amazing. Um, there's a moment I thought was insightful where, or maybe, maybe thematic, um, uh, where uh, Rip Torn is defending against the Dragon Lady prosecutor, and he says, uh, I think the act itself is what's important, but she wants to keep enlarging it until everything loses its meaning. Um, and I think that's a fascinating quote because I do think that we focus both too much on individual moments and too much on the big picture. Um, and I don't know if this is the movie's point, but um, kind of need both perspectives, really. It's almost like everything comes down to balance, Jeremy. It's almost <laughs> like there's nuance in everything. Yeah, well, <laughs> except for Twitter. Um, <laughs> the other thing I wrote down that I thought was interesting is I noticed they both played mini golf left-handed, and I thought for sure it was mm. blocking because there's a windmill on the right side of the frame. Mm -hmm. But I looked it up, and both actors are left-handed, um, which I thought was an interesting little tidbit. Uh, that's all the notes that I had written down. Um, I really enjoyed my uh, trip through this movie again. Mm -hmm. And uh, I hope you listeners did as well. Uh, we have a tradition here we call the Super Secret Double Feature. Be very, very quiet. Secret? What secret? Our dirty little secret. I tell you something I've never told anyone. Um, Aaron, did you prep one for this week? I sure did. Uh, someone mentioned Heaven Can Wait. I think that's a, 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 mm. a pretty obvious one um, and a good one, uh, but not what I chose. Um, I considered uh, another one somebody else mentioned, What Dreams May Come, but I think that's a little more... Um, abstract than this mm. is that's another thing we didn't really talk about this movie isn't really abstract everything is you know in right there uh yep. which i think is is uh, kind of interesting and cool i eventually went with a, another movie about uh people who died via bus and uh their trip to the next realm uh i went with heart and souls uh oh. One of one of my one of my favorite Robert Downey Jr. early performances. Um, I think this is really fun. I think there may be a couple things that don't hold up today. I, I will tell you, like each of the ghosts have their chance to. There's four of them, uh, and they they are each trying to finish their business as ghosts are often want to do. Yes. Uh, but because Robert Downey Jr.'s character, I think, was born. The moment they died, yes. I think, is the idea mm -hmm. in this this bus crash. They are using Robert Downey Jr. as he grows up. Um, they're like his imaginary friends, you know, kind of yeah. thing. And then he tries to get rid of them. And then they come back when he's an adult because they need him to finish their business. Uh, and they will uh, inhabit him. Uh, you know, through this to do different projects and, and that kind of stuff for them. It's funny. It's clever. It's, you know, the the Robert Downey Jr. charm is on full display. His sarcasm, his wit uh, is here. And uh, I think it's a really fun movie. Um, and there's a, a, a great rendition of Walk Like a Man uh, in there that I, that I really enjoy as well. A couple uh, times. Yes, yes, it is kind of the heart of the movie. Uh, Jeremy, what's your familiarity slash uh, thoughts on uh, Heart and Souls? 
Um, somebody in the chat said it should be a big recommend, and I'm looking through my email right now because I swear I thought it already had been. You guys big re recommended Heart and Souls? Wow. This has been one of my favorite movies. Maybe we saw this together in college. I'm, probably. This has been one of probably. my favorite movies for 25 years. Yeah, um, me too. And, 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 and Chris, I don't think I'd ever seen it. It could be that something that I recommended on the old Sincast show because I can't find any email about it. Um, so maybe we should make this a big recommend at some point. Uh, I adore this movie. I quote it all the time. I quote it all the time to the point where my wife will frequently say, what's that from? Oh, yeah, it's that movie. <clears throat> yes, yes. Little Miss, uh, look at my butt. Look at my butt. <laughs> <clears throat> um, what's fun is Robert Downey Jr. gets to play all four of those other actors throughout the course of the movie when they mm -hmm. take over his body, uh, and it's quite amusing. But he's he is subtly doing some masterful work in this movie and I making agree. it look easy. All right, I love that double feature. That's a very, very good one. And you are also on the hot seat for picking next week's homework movie. I'm going with a comedy uh, because I am tired of being accused of making everybody cry. Um, not that you can't cry at this movie. You can cry at any movie you want to. But we're going back to the 60s, and we're going with a comedy called The Apartment. Um, oh, so just made Slabs Day. <clears throat> <laughs> really? Back to the 60s. <clears throat> Uh, I love, I saw this movie for the first time, uh, within the last couple of years and I liked everything I'd seen Jack Lemmon in. I fell in love with Jack Lemmon, uh, during this movie. I mm. think he is, I think he deserves, and he probably is in some circles and it's just that I, I don't have that context because it was before my time, whatever, but I think he deserves to be in the conversation with Cary Grant and some of these like mm. leading comedic men, um, you know, Donald O'Connor, Danny Kaye, whatever, you know, the case may be, uh, Jim Carrey, like he's just, he's such, he's so funny in this movie and so good. Uh, and there's a Fred McMurray who most of the people my age know as Mr. Disney, like mm -hmm. in like the shaggy dog and all these Disney movies is just like the dad. Uh, plays a, a role that I've never seen Fred, you know, McMurray in, uh, other than a, a movie I think we did a big recommend for, um, Double Indemnity. Fred yep. McMurray plays a very different kind of character in that one as well. Um, Shirley MacLaine is the female star here who also has a connection to the movie we just watched. Uh, she wow. shows up in the the uh the lives pavilion is a little inside joke because she has always spoken about believing she has many past lives and so to have her at the uh be the host of the pavilion of past lives is is a funny joke so lots of uh lots of humor here but beyond that humor it's actually doing some very interesting story things and plot things as well that uh, i think we're going to have a good time with so uh the apartment will be the movie you have one. found a weak spot in my chain mail I've never oh, yeah? seen this movie. Um, ah. I've seen a lot of Jack Lemmon movies, uh, but I have never seen this movie. So, again, the podcast does its job exposing us and others to movies that we perhaps have let slip through the cracks over time. I'm excited to see The Apartment. My Googling tells me it's on the MGM streaming service. Correct. MGM Plus, uh, if you want to check it out there, and, of course, for rent or purchase uh, in many different and there places. Are, it looks like there are some premium places that if you have a premium subscription with like Roku or what have you, MGM Plus is, right. 
a part of that so you can yeah. watch it there and the, um, and the thing i the thing i didn't mention about it that i should mention is this billy wilder too written and directed by billy wilder and mm. just continues to and that's i saw it in a run of billy wilder movies i was watching and catching up on and uh man what what a great uh, writer director so um yeah good stuff all right we got a couple minutes left let's uh tackle this these one of these questions question question i got something to say I am listening. One up is deep and philosophical. Are <laughs> films better in a crowded theater because you saw it in a group? It was better than watching at home by yourself? Question mark. Uh, you know, this is an interesting question for me. Um, here is my hot take. Uh, my hot take is that a crowd is almost always better um the i know that people have annoying things that they don't like about theater talkers and whatever i even find that stuff can be interesting sometimes um i there is something about the community of storytelling and watching in the community of laughing or reacting to things that really moves me it, it's I, it's interesting because I would much rather stay at home than go anywhere. Like that's my choice almost every time. I will choose to stay home and have someone bring me my food than to go to a restaurant and get my food. I will choose to stay home and watch a movie rather than go to the theater and watch a movie. But the reason that is most of the time is because when I'm going to a theater to watch a movie, I'm usually the only one in the theater anyway. You know, yeah. so it's like it's like one of those things. But a full theater, I will choose every movie in a full theater over seeing it at home. It's there's nothing like being part of the community of watching something like that. It's why I love going to see stage plays. You know, like I, there's something about taking in entertainment with a group that I really, really love. There is definitely something about a live audience that palpably increases one's enjoyment, but I don't know that it extends to movies for me. Uh, it, certainly with stand-up comedians, certainly sporting events, um, even some concerts, um, stage plays, like you said, there's an energy uh, oftentimes that you simply would not get at home. But combination of factors, my slow progressing hearing loss, pandemic swirling around the world and people going wherever they want, coughing into my air. Um, <laughs> I'll tell you this, if I had been in the theater for that Avengers Assemble moment in Endgame that I saw on videos all over Twitter, Mm -hmm. that would have made me angry. I would have missed almost a solid minute of what came next audi audi auditorially uh, because so many people were screaming and cheering and clapping at that moment. I don't want to take that moment away from them. Right, that's the interesting balance, right? Because we're different in that way. Like it's, it's in my top five movie moments of all time being in that theater when the place just exploded. Like I've, I've never experienced a movie being like a sports experience before that moment. Mm. Um, the closest before that was the original Avengers. The original Avengers had that energy as well. There were some moments in the original Avengers that kind of exploded too, but there was nothing like Mjolnir in Endgame. It was just, it was bedlam and, and I loved it. Now I, I will say I had seen the movie before that. Uh, I had seen a press screening where I was able to experience, like you talk about, I didn't, I knew what I was missing because I'd already seen it. Um, but I think even so, like, I don't know, I dig that kind of stuff. I, I, I get into it. I it, love it. It makes me happy. It probably doesn't help me that I'm 
I'm already seeing those movies at that point as the ice capades, which is something that I have to give credit to Chris for sure. comparing sure. first. And then this guy's here and this girl's here and they're all here and let's cheer. And it just feels manufactured to me. Mm -hmm. um, sure. But again, I don't want to take that moment away from people who want it. I just don't want to be in, in it. I don't want to be a part of it. Yeah. Um, I was still able, I feel, to enjoy that moment on my own um, without anyone having to to scream um so yeah we, we're just different everybody's different um but i have become quite comfortable waiting a couple of months and then paying you know 20 bucks to watch a new release in the comfort of my own home and nobody yells or screams again i'm i got spoiled i don't know how you're not spoiled yet i got spoiled on solo screenings when i was a projectionist when i had to build a movie and then i had to watch it to make sure it didn't have right. mistakes and it's dead quiet and I, I can hear everything. And if I want to talk, I can. You know what? Because I'm not bothering anybody. And I just got <laughs> spoiled on that kind of environment. Yeah. And going back to a sold-out environment, I don't think I could. I mean, if you don't enjoy, if you don't enjoy it more, then of course it's like it. It there's a lot about it that changes the experience to the to the negative as far as like comprehension and and you know having your own experience. But man, it, it reminded me of going to like a, a Tigers playoff game or something like it's just like there's just something about being in communion with, you know, a thousand people having the same experience that's I don't know, I think there's something tribal about it that's built mm. into us like um, that it triggers something it triggers like this, this, uh, this ethereal emotion. Um, so yeah, it's, mm. it's, it's I, I dig it. I like it. All right. Well, that's probably all the time we have for today on episode 93 of Recotopia. Uh, thank you again to the chat for coming out and weighing in uh, and keeping us company. Um, it's always comforting to see you there. Uh, next week's homework is The Apartment with uh, Shirley MacLaine and other people, Fred <laughs> McMurray and... <laughs> uh, that other guy whose name escapes me. Um, what is his name, Aaron? Are, Jack Lemon. Are you talking about Jack Lemon? Yeah, it just okay. went, it went out for a moment. I got it back. Hey, um, listen, don't worry about it. I ha it happens to me all the time. <laughs> That's going to do it for this week. For Aaron Dicer, I'm Jeremy Scott. We'll see you next time. Be a part of the live show by being a member of the Sin Club at Patreon at patreon.com slash cinemasins. Chat with us on the CinemaSins Discord at discord.gg slash CinemaSins or CinemaSins Twitter at CinemaSins and email any comments or questions to recotopia at CinemaSins.com. That's R-E-C-O-T-O-P-I-A at CinemaSins.com. Expecting it when I'm not on the page, uh, it's gonna get me every time. Did you see this Robert De Niro speech that everybody's talking about this morning on social media? No, he was speaking. Um, I don't know if he was uh, receiving an award or an opening speaker or whatever, but uh, he was. At oh, they cut out his Trump remarks or something? Yeah, well, they cut out like yeah. four paragraphs. It wasn't all Trump. It was like you know lies are now being repeated as fact and history is no longer history and um was it was this uh, did you say was this at the gotham yeah the gotham awards and so yeah. it was either the gotham awards people or apple apparently is the sponsor and so he basically 
reads it all from his phone, and then says, and I'm going to thank Apple and Gotham and blah, 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 but I don't really feel like thanking them right now. How dare they? And I was like, wow. He's reached that, <laughs> he's reached that wonderful age Hollywood people get to where they just don't give any fucks anymore. Yeah. It's, it's entertaining. I don't know. It's weird. I've been to uh, a few award ceremonies now uh, after being in the, the Critics' Choice Association for a bit. And there's always at least one thing. There's always at least one thing that happens where you're like, oh, that person didn't want to be, you know, run of the mill. Uh, <laughs> whether it's Lakeith Stanfield rushing up to accept an award for a TV show he wasn't on. Oh. Or, you know, like just different things that, you know, it may have a little bit to do with the imbibing that happens at these award shows, too. Gotta a lot be. of uh, a lot of alcohol flowing around. So, but yeah. It's it's always interesting. Although I don't know the Oscars are like that. The Oscars don't. They're in like they're not at tables with alcohol and food at the Oscars. They're they're all in rows. No, and stuff but my guess Dolby. is there's plenty of champagne outside that auditorium. Um, mm, I bet you're right. But you just yeah. reminded me of um, that episode of Seinfeld where Kramer is a seat filler at the Tony Awards, mm. and he's sitting in the row with a team that wins for Scarsdale Surprise, and in the shuffle of trying to get out of their way, he ends up getting caught up in the group and on stage with them and gets a Tony Award. It's <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Yeah, yeah, it was nice. It was different. It was, ever since we, uh, my wife and I got married, we alternated family Thanksgivings. So that was when we did family stuff was over Thanksgiving. Okay. So like we do my family one year, her family the next. And then we always did Christmas, just ourselves okay. like that's for our immediate family this christmas time and uh and that's just kind of how we've done it and then this year due to a few circumstances we're actually it's her family's year or whatever we're actually going to go up there uh the week before christmas hmm. and do more kind of christmas stuff with them it just worked out better for everybody that way and so we found ourselves at home for thanksgiving which we haven't been in you know, 20 plus years or so. Nice. So, so just, just your immediate family then? Yeah. Yeah. My wife and I and our kids and, and, uh, and spouses and children. <laughs> this is the case in my life. Yeah. Um, yeah. but, uh, but yeah, Jen made a turkey. It was amazing. She is, she has studied the science of making, you know, turkey. And so, you know, the, the brining was happening and then, the thing where you let the turkey cook itself for the last few degrees mm. so that you don't, you know, get any uh, extra moisture out of there. Um, so, yeah, she took it. I think you're supposed to get to like 161 and she took it out at like 154 and it got up to like 162. Um, so that, that's a that's a dangerous game to play right there. Now, um, it's funny how everybody has their own traditions. We have for we, we figured out this year for 17 years. Um, my family has been doing what we call Thanksmas, where mm -hmm. it's uh, the, basically the Scott family, my brother and his wife and kids, me and mm -hmm. my wife and my mom and dad. Uh, and we've done it all over the place. We've, we, we rented a beach house in Carolina. We got a cottage in the Smokies and we've all taken turns hosting it. Um, and we've hosted like the last four. But no matter where we've been, um, I have always been the turkey guy. Mm -hmm. I'm always the guy that makes the turkey because right. I did it well once and nobody wanted to mess up a good thing. That's, that's all it takes. Yeah. And so now I, I don't enjoy fishing the neck and stuff out of the body of the turkey. I don't enjoy sure. touching the turkey. I, I mean, 
But I liked having a thing that was mine. Uh huh. And this is the first year um, in 16, 17 years that I was responsible for nothing. Uh, I didn't mm. have to cook the turkey. And my sister in law did this thing she read about where you like take the turkey out of the fridge and season it um, with like salt and pepper and whatnot. And then you put it back in the fridge for a couple hours. And that somehow sucks in the, I'll tell you what, it was a tasty, tasty turkey. And um, I'm a very, I'm a very vanilla Thanksgiving guy, right? I got, I'm going to put turkey, potatoes, and stuffing on my plate. I'm going to cover it all with gravy. I'm set. Like everybody else in my family puts everything on there. Green bean casserole, um, Mm -hmm. sweet potato casserole, rolls, cranberry stuff. And I'm like, Mm -hmm. I don't need all those things. I just need three things done well, smothered in gravy. Turkey, turkey, mashed potatoes, mashed potatoes, and stuffing. And stuffing. That's it. What, and you, then you ruin it by putting gravy over. Not a gravy person. <laughs> we also tried some pumpkin pies. Those those weren't quite as good. My my kids were impressed by my honesty about the pumpkin pies, <laughs> which was that you don't like it. Yeah, which is that they didn't taste very good. <laughs> oh, so, oh, that's fun. Thankfully, thankfully the cook agreed. Thankfully she was like, yeah, these didn't turn out all that well. I was like, yeah, that's okay. Yeah, yeah. I mean, if the cook can agree then it's, it's you know, fair game to be honest. Um Yeah. That's where your response is and my my response was, what do you think? <laughs>